This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. Special welcome, as always, to those of you joining us for the first time. We have been covering what we call, there's a series we've been doing that we refer to, what I should say, basically covering what I call the sinister traits that are at work in today's world of user experience. We're going to take a little bit of an interlude from that because one of the things I talked about last week, the thing I focused on last week had to do with how people think that portfolios are the critical currency for people who are seeking to launch themselves uh, to build a career or trying to find jobs when it comes to user experience. Uh, We basically address the fact that that's not really true and if people focus on the portfolios too much, will they help you get a job? Yeah. But what's most important is your one's qualifications. What's more important is how someone navigates UX spaces. What's more important are the character traits. Do you really have a passion or are you just looking for a job? You just chasing the buck like a lot of people are. Do you really have an understanding of the discipline. Do you understand its history? There are a whole ton of things that are more important than having a portfolio. And there are actually jobs where a portfolio is not even required. So if it was the most important thing, then it would be applicable in all cases. It's actually a, a grounds for discrimination. It is something that people tend to lean upon when they're trying to evaluate talent because they don't know how to evaluate talent. There's just a whole ton of things associated with this portfolio mindset as being a critical currency that it really sends things askew. And it's really because of it, it actually is counterproductive with regard to the discipline, but it is a necessary evil. And I did mention that. And so this is sort of a, I'm calling it an interlude and I'm going to share 12 tips about UX portfolios. It was something that I've been wanting to do. It's something that does come up, and I'm going to share a couple of tidbits along with this. We're going to basically give you a baker's dozen, if you will, a baker's dozen of UX tips. So for those of you unfamiliar with what's meant by a baker's dozen, that means that we're going to tell you 13 critical things associated with portfolios today. Again, portfolios are a necessary evil, but part of the reason I'm doing this is because, as many of you know, And if you're not familiar with me and my content, uh, you might not be aware of this, but I'm not a fan of reviewing portfolios. There are times that I do it. There are times that I think it is absolutely necessary to do, such as when I help students in certain programs and they're trying to document their work. And I think it's important in those cases to help those particular people when they're putting together samples of their work to help to illustrate who they are, things of that nature. So notice, if you will, that I know that might sound a little contradictory, but when you're starting out like that and you're just trying to document your work, that's all fine and dandy. Remember, I said that the thing that makes it or the thing that qualifies it as a sinister trait is when people overvalue it. 
when people think that it's the most critical aspect associated with a person getting a job. That's the biggest problem. But there are people who come to me often. They ask me for input. That's when I'm not thrilled about it. And I'm going to explain why that is. Uh, Because I I review portfolios on a regular basis. I attend meetups where the whole focus on those things is to go through portfolios. and, And that can be problematic, too, because it reinforces the stereotype. It reinforces the false mindset that uh, all the things that you're going to do, the, the thing you got to do to be most ready is to have your portfolio rate. No, it's not. There are people who have slam bang, fantastic portfolios and they are still at a gross disadvantage because again, they don't understand the discipline. They don't understand the biggest value propositions associated with getting the job. They still don't understand the history of the discipline. They don't understand the uphill battle and the very steep slope that they're climbing in order to operate, they still don't understand their responsibility to represent the discipline. A lot of these people just want a job, and so they they end up never really being the ambassador to UX that they should be. So when, when people are of that mindset, that's that sinister aspect of it. But I hope, if you're listening to my podcast and the, the tendency of people who do listen to my podcast are people who do have thicker skin, are people who don't want to, who do want to understand what's going on in the discipline, who really want to play the long game and not just trying to microwave their way through their UX career. Those people, those people don't usually accomplish very much. They, they don't frankly don't amount to very much because they're, they're selfish. <laughs> These are selfish people and, and you can't be selfish and excel. I don't care where you got a job. You're going to get a job. I don't care where you got a job. I don't care what your title is. If you're selfish, you are going to eventually crash and burn because this discipline does not align itself with that type of persona. So I'm not a fan, but I do want to help. And and so another aspect of why I'm saying this is because I have noticed in all the portfolios, and I've reviewed a lot of portfolios as a mentor, as a professor, a college professor, as just somebody passing by, I find it interesting that, and this is going to be addressed in this episode, the mistakes, people make the same exact mistakes <laughs> over and over and over. And what's funny is, most of the people who are making the same exact mistakes over and over and over again are not learning about these mistakes from the people who told them that they need a portfolio. It, it's draining to try to help people and they're making the same exact mistakes. So for this reason, I'm going to share 13, Baker's Dozen, I'm going to share 13 tips This will amount for a vast majority of the things that need to be righted, wrongs that need to be righted, ships that need to be righted out there with people who are trying to put together their portfolio. But again, please no one understand. If you want to excel at UX, the portfolio is just an extension of who you are. So if you want to be better, if you want to be qualified, then become better, become qualified. 
Anything else is nothing more than a dog and pony show. As I said in, in one of my recent social media posts about this subject, but these things that I'm about to mention, these things are critical. These things are people think things that people need to do, things that people need to pay attention to. And if you can get past these 13 things, there's not much more to do. Portfolios are not as complex as people make them out to be, but there are certain things that if you're not aware of them, then you will just hop from person to person trying to get tips about your portfolio. And it's really, it just becomes a, a, a vicious cycle. So I want to help people get past this. You're about to hear the 13 reasons why, the 13 things that I see people doing all the time, and I want to address them. If you take these things to heart, if you put these things into practice, you're going to be further down the road in in the, the excellence reflected in your portfolio. So are you ready? Ready for the tips? All right, here they come. Tip number one. A portfolio is about storytelling. So tell the story of you. Tell the story of who you are. Tell the story of your makeup. Tell the story of what you have worked on because a a portfolio is basically a value proposition. It is a representation of what you bring to the table. So tell the story of yourself and tell the story of your projects that you have worked on. And one of the interesting things about portfolios is it's reflective of UX. Storytelling. You're telling a story. Who are you? How qualified are you? How much of the fundamentals do you have a sound grasp on? How many projects have you worked on where you've applied these fundamentals. This this is the collective story that a person tells when they present their portfolio. And please, no one understand a UX portfolio, a real UX portfolio, is not a, a an aesthetic uh, masterpiece, if you will. It, it is. We don't work on the the presentation layer. I, I say this from time to time. We work on the skeleton behind it. We work on the sinews. We work on the muscles. We work on the tendons. We work on the bones, the structure. We don't work on the big thing that everybody sees in the final product. We're not involved in that too much. Some people who are in the product design are, but for the most part, real UX is about what's beneath the surface, not what's on the surface. So make sure that you tell your story about what you do. Now, please know and understand, a lot of people don't understand what UX is. So that's why a lot of times the prettier someone's portfolio is, those are the people who get the job sometimes. But that's a reflection of the lack of understanding that that organization or that hiring manager has about what UX really is. Because you don't, if you're doing real UX work, the last concern should be the presentation layer. So when people are trying to present these beautiful visual specimens, then something is wrong. And that's why me, when I am a hiring manager, I don't pay attention to portfolios too much. I I want to hear what the person's talking about. I want to hear the passion. I want to know what they really have, what, what, what qualifications they bring to the table. I want to know what their level of emotional intelligence is. I want to know about the things that really matter. 
and not about the things where that people use to basically falsify their way into UX roles. And people falsify their way into UX roles with teams that have falsified structures. So please know and understand that. So again, tell the story of you and tell the story of your project. That's number one. Number two, when you tell your story, be succinct. Point number two is be succinct. I have seen a lot of portfolios where people just go on and on and on and on. Telling your story, you can you can do war and peace and do this thing that's bringing out every single solitary detail, or you can present something that's structured and get straight to the point. And that's what you need to do because people don't have that. Some people who are reviewing portfolios, they're not going to go through every nook and cranny and they're in a hurry. And so you have to present things in a way that demonstrates that you understand that their time is at a premium. And so you want to be succinct in your presentation. If you are overly verbose, in many cases, you're going to disqualify yourself from consideration. So that is number two. Number three, use proper craft. And, and, and by craft, I know some people understand what craft is. Many do not. It's a term we use in some of my, some of my work in academia where when we're grading papers, we talk about craft and we're referring to things like your visual hierarchy, the way that you use your typography, uh, structuring lists, be it a, an unordered list or an ordered list, or in other words, an unordered list is that's a bulleted list. An ordered list is a numbered list. So if you have something that lends itself to list-based presentation, then you need to make sure that you're using and presenting things in lists. Nobody wants to, people don't read on the web anyway, and nobody surely wants to read paragraphs. So you have to present lists. You have to make your points, again, quickly, succinctly, sort of builds on that be succinct, because when you present lists, lists are more scannable. So when people are skimming and they're scanning and you present lists, you're more likely to have somebody pay attention to what you presented than fumbling their way through a paragraph, just, just so you know. So make sure your list structures are in order. Please be aware of typos. Please be aware of your grammatical structure. Please be aware of your punctuation. A lot of times you can have one typo and you're done. You could have used grammar the wrong way and, and you're done. Fail to provide the appropriate punctuation, you're done. Backing up the visual hierarchy, make sure that you present proper visual hierarchy because that facilitates and optimizes scannability. And a person can go to the section that draws their interest the most because you indicated it with your visual hierarchy, your H1s, your H2s, your H3s, things of that nature, all of your headings. Make sure that you present things in a way that facilitates that scannability so people can jump to what they want to see. They're not going to read. So you have your visual hierarchy, you have your bulleted list, or you have your numbered list. You, When it comes to typography, by the way, I've seen a lot of people, they use serif fonts, fonts with tails. In other words, it is a heuristic principle to only use sans serif fonts, Arial, Helvetica. Please don't use Comic Sans. Things that, fonts that don't have tails, it has been proven that 
When fonts don't have tails in a digital experience, people can get through the content more quickly, more efficiently. So demonstrate your knowledge, acknowledge heuristics by making sure that you only use sans serif fonts. So again, use proper craft. Number four, be sure to share success metrics. If you have them, anything that you've done that your design helped to improve, any numbers you have in association with that improvement, include it in your storytelling. This way, you're going to broadcast the breadth as well as the impact of your work. You're going to show how broadly it impacted the work and what exactly the impact was in association with your work. So again, be sure you share success metrics. You're again demonstrating the value prop that you bring and your track record. Number five, and it's something else that I see from time to time, talk about you. Again, you're telling the story of you. You're telling the story of the project. I don't need to see, nobody needs to see pictures of the people you were working with on the project. Nobody needs to see everybody's grinning faces. You don't need to present them. It is your portfolio. It is highlighting you as a candidate. You can mention the fact that you were on the team, but you don't have to document who the team was. That's not important. And please, as a side note, only show what you did. Talk about what you did. Don't share work that somebody else did and present it as your own. That is not that is not a proper way to represent yourself. So make sure that you are talking about yourself and not your team members. That's number five. Number six, please UX your portfolio. <laughs> you are what you represent. I have seen so many people who present portfolios. It, it, it's amazing the 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 things that I do see. It's amazing that people will tell folks how they need to have a portfolio. They go through some program, they go through some boot camp, they go to some university, I don't care who it was, and they they present, they, they're, they're sold on the fact they need a portfolio, but they don't know any of the best practices. And most critically, you're trying to present a UX portfolio that shows that you don't know anything about UX. So that that is a deal breaker right there. So you need to take the UX principles you do know and you need to make sure that they are reflected in your portfolio. Remember, you are what you represent. And if your portfolio says that you don't know anything about UX or you don't care about UX and the people that you're trying to get a job with see that, you are no longer going to be considered for that role. So keep that in mind. When we're talking about content, moving on to number seven. You don't have to include everything. Please don't. Please include the work that best, a collection of your work, that best represents who you are and, again, your value proposition to the company that you are trying to get a job with. There are a lot of times people, they just feel like they need to include everything. And so they've got, uh, in some cases where it's possible, they have 10, they have 15 projects. There are ways to do that and make it work. I'm not going to talk about that today. I, I do know there's ways to do it, but I've seen cases where people have eight, nine, and 10 things, and, and the things that they have are not really, some of them 
are not really proper representations of them as candidates. And, and that includes like the coming soon stuff. Don't put something on your in your portfolio saying that it's coming soon. Everything that your portfolio was meant to accomplish needs to be accomplished at the point in time that the considering source has access to it. So nobody cares that you're going to roll something else now out something else new out of your portfolio in the next month. Nobody cares about that. And there's no reason for you to to present that. So just present what you have now. And then when the other stuff is ready, then you just roll it out. But 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 make sure that you don't include everything and make sure you include things that are relevant and things that are now. Present now. Don't present tomorrow. Present now, what you have now. Number eight, another one that I see a lot, people will include images, whether it's samples of the work. Uh, one popular thing I see all the time is people will have a, a photo of a mood board or a photo of some of the stickies on the wall during during design taken during design sprints, things of that nature. And then the thing that myself, I see myself and other people who will always will always do this. We want to see the details. And so you click on it and it doesn't enlarge. Anytime you share images, especially when they're smaller, please make sure that they are they have the ability to be enlarged so that people can examine it and see them in a way where they can digest it and then make some deductions, draw some conclusions based on what they see. A picture of a wall with a bunch of stickies on it without the ability to read what's on those stickies, without the ability to understand what's being represented by those stickies is nothing. And that that's done to a lot of times. People take the picture because certain people say, oh, man, look, they were, they were collaborating with a team. I'm going to give them brownie points. No, no, we need to see what it was. And so, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you want to UX your portfolio. When you have content that people can't see, they can't decipher, they can't understand, they can't read, that is counterproductive. I mean, you're better off striking that than you from your portfolio than pu- putting something illegible there that people can't engage with. Any uh, anytime you have images, people should be able to click, see a larger version of it. But don't just put it in there for the sake of putting it in there. It's just that's just being cute. It's not functional, and, and that says that you haven't thought that through. That's what it says. So it, it's a shame that somebody would have a portfolio that says, please don't hire me. I'm not worthy. <laughs> you have to strike that kind of stuff from your portfolio. So you want to tell somebody, I am somebody you should consider instead of saying, you don't need to consider me. This is funny or this is a joke because that's what a lot of people's portfolios actually say. Number nine, if you share work in your portfolio that came from your educational experience, please be transparent about that and say as much because people will share things in their portfolio from their class, from their boot camp, from whatever. And then sometimes they don't want to say where it was from. 
And when you do that, now you're representing yourself in a different light. It is okay sometimes to share something that is educational. It is okay to go to a website, evaluate the website, talk about your recommendations, and it's just something that you just did to put in your portfolio. It's actually okay to do that, but you have to tell somebody that this is what you did. Don't just do it and and then falsify things by acting like this was some project that you worked on for some for-profit or some official entity in the business world. Don't, Don't do that. So be transparent, be honest, be forthright, and, and people will appreciate that. Uh, there are some people that don't want to see educational examples, but the truth of the matter is when somebody is of the entry level, uh, an entry level individual, I should say, then they're going to have stuff like that. It's going to come up. When you're applying for an entry level role and the company is hiring entry level people, they know that this kind of content is going to come up. Just make sure that you're transparent about that and not trying to represent it for something else that is not. Number 10, do not overpersonalize. What do we mean by that? There are times that people will create a portfolio and they are so determined to generate some type of representation of their personality that they start to do things that they are truly representations of their of themselves as individuals. But the problem is that it takes away from the professional presentation. It, it takes away from answering the question about an individual's value proposition. And so you don't have to have these overly fancy fonts. You don't have to have these cartoons of yourself. And they can be cute and they, and they can actually work in some cases, but if you over-personalize, somebody is going to be excluded from that, which taps me into number 11. And I have to present 10 and 11 sort of together because they're, they're related. Remember who your users are. Your portfolio has users. And as Nielsen Norman Group famously state all the time, you are not your user. And so you might like to see a certain something in your portfolio. You might look to represent yourself a certain way because you want your personality to stand out in your portfolio, but you are not your user. So when you over-personalize, you are really failing to engage and demonstrate base empathy you need to understand the people who are who are evaluating portfolios. What are they looking for? What do they need to see? How should things be structured? You need to demonstrate your knowledge of UX within your portfolio by acknowledging these things instead of making it this, this extremely subjective vehicle, which is counterproductive, and it is diametrically opposed to what UX is about. You are not your user. Make sure that you structure your portfolio in a way that's reflective of your understanding of the mental model models of hiring managers and of hiring teams and of interviewers and of recruiters, not of you and not of your buddies. Because when you do that, uh, in a lot of cases, it's going to result in you being disqualified from consideration. 
Number 12. We come to the end of the of the main list here, and then we'll we'll hit on our baker's dozen point here in a moment. But number 12, avoid making changes to your portfolio based on feedback from every single solitary interview and every single solitary review. It is a I, I talk about this all the time. A lot of people who review portfolios have no idea how to review portfolios. They don't know what they're looking at. They don't know how to gauge things. And so when people say something a lot of times about your portfolio, the tendency of many people is to assume that they know what they're talking about. Number one, they all don't. Number two, when people do talk about portfolios, whether they know or whether they know how to review a portfolio or not, they're still going to present things from their perspective and their use cases. So if you listen to things that they're telling you based on their perspective and their use case, and then you feel like you've done something wrong, so then you go and you make changes, then you go and talk to somebody else in another company, and they give you things from their perspective and their use cases, which is different than the last person, and you go through the same cycle, the same sequence, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 20, 30, 40. People are doing this, folks, 50 times, and then they make changes thinking that everybody knows what they're talking about. You cannot have this thing, this portfolio, if you keep making changes, you're getting, in many cases, further and further away. Do you know that sometimes people make changes? They talk to five different people. They make five changes to the portfolio. And then when they get to, they don't get any of those jobs. Then they interview with, with company number six. And, but what they had in portfolio version number two, the second version, second rendition, was more up the up the alley or in the line with in alignment with what this particular candidate or, or, or company is looking for. So you can't just keep making these changes. You need to understand, we need to understand how to best represent ourselves, have enough options, give people options. This is part of what I didn't think I was gonna make reference to, but I've got to. We have to come up with something that gives enough options, enough breath for people to look at our portfolio, go into the section of the portfolio that best, best reflects their use cases, their perspectives, instead of making everybody go down the same street when everybody can't go down the same street. It doesn't work like that. So you have to have enough there, but not too much, so people can see what your value prop is and that's it. But if you make changes every time you talk to somebody, all you're doing is changing it, changing your portfolio based on a, a road traveled that you might not travel again anytime soon. So we have to know how to best structure the portfolio, how to best present it for a broader audience so that we don't make those changes, so we don't end up fixing something that may very well not be broken. A lot of times, that's what's happening. And then people keep making changes, and then they wonder why they're 50 interviews down the road, and they haven't gotten anywhere, and they've made 25 changes, 30 changes, assuming that the people who gave them input knew what they were talking about. And, and sometimes they do know what they're talking about, 
but they didn't hire you. And now you're going to go to another job interview and you're going to make the changes that everybody told you. But now your portfolio is worse off because it's not really representing you anymore. It's representing, it's not telling your story anymore. Now it's telling the story of other people that you've talked to who frankly have no interest in your your attempts to get another position anywhere down the road. They're, they're not giving you input. It sounds like sometimes they're giving you input that's going to help you qualify for another job, but that may or may not be the case. So you have to be really, really careful. So that's number 12. Again, number one, tell the story of your project. Number two, be succinct. Number three, use proper craft, visual hierarchy, typography, list structures, Watch out for typos and, and proper grammar. Make sure you got good punctuation. Clean all that up. Make sure it's good and solid. Number four, be sure to share success metrics. Number five, talk about you, not your team members. Talk about you. Number six, make sure you UX your portfolio. Remember, you are what you represent. Number seven, you do you, you do not have to include everything you've ever done. Please don't. Uh, number eight, when sharing images, make sure they can be enlarged. Number nine, if when you share work from your education experience, be transparent about it, represent it properly. Number 10, do not over-personalize your portfolio. Might be cute, might be fun, but it will shoot you in the foot. Number 11, remember who your users are and you are not your user, so you have to design for them. And number 12, avoid making changes based on feedback from every interview and every review because it just... It may not match where you're going. Very easily may not match who's going to see it later. So those are the 12 tips for UX portfolios. And here comes your, your baker's dozen, the 13th tip. Make sure you include enough relevant content that addresses the needs of each job type. What do we mean when we say that? Now, I just said that you have to have enough breath. In your content, you need to cast a wide enough net that your portfolio can appeal to anybody that you might talk to when it comes to hiring managers. So there is, there are ways, this is going to take some real work too. Everybody can't do this. Everybody might not have enough experience. If they, if you don't have enough experience, you can only present what you can, what you can present. But for people who might have more mid-level people, this may apply to them and more senior people, you have to be ready. You have to have more than one resume. You, you have to have either a breadth of content or you're going to have to have multiple portfolios. It's easier to have broader breadth of content and then let people go and, and peruse your portfolio in a way that it best suits them. If you do that, you'll be equipped from every, for everybody. But if you do, if you do not include enough relevant content that matches the type of job you're going for, you're not going to be able to address the needs and the use cases of some individuals out there. So now you got a problem. So you either have the qualifications or you don't. But if you do, then you got to make sure that you work very hard to present yourself where you're representing who you really are. Representing the work that you've done, representing your proper value proposition. And please know and understand that this is almost like a 14th tip on the side. At least it's a another topic that's related to this. 
is that a lot of us, we've done work. We have the, the, uh, the, these, these, you're not supposed, where you're not supposed to mention anything. These non-disclosure agreements is the terminology that I couldn't think of there for a moment, but you have these non-disclosure agreements. And a lot of times there's things you cannot include in your portfolio. There are ways to present content where you have non-disclosure agreements. There are things you can change so you can hide what was there or just include enough of it to demonstrate your skill, but don't don't share things that are secrets. Don't share things that you have promised that you're not going to share. Uh, and, and, and here comes the, the interesting part, the tip, if you will. This whole portfolio thing, and I believe I mentioned this last week, People who have been doing UX for a while, the portfolio becomes a vehicle of discrimination because when we we can't include, two things happen. Let me back up. Number one, when you're really dedicated to doing the work, you're not usually thinking about your portfolio. And if you're working on several projects at once and you're doing a lot of juggling, you have to pivot a lot of times so fast that as things change and as you're going from one project to another and you did something that's that's portfolio worthy, we're actually not thinking about putting things in our portfolio. And that's why a lot of times, a lot of people who have more, more experience, I know people now who do not even produce portfolios at all. I believe I mentioned that last week. As well, they don't show. Yeah, you have a portfolio? No, actually, I don't. No, and I shouldn't have to show you a portfolio at this, at this stage of my career. That that's their mindset. So they don't, they don't share a portfolio, and they get hired because they don't they don't really need a portfolio to represent who they are. And and a lot of these people, they are one hundred percent correct. It is, and when people see the work of somebody who's been doing UX for a while versus someone who just got started especially when you come across people who are not looking at portfolios the right way, who don't know how to review them, who definitely don't know how to how to how compare a portfolio between a more seasoned professional and a less seasoned professional, it becomes a a visual competition. It becomes a presentation layer competition, which is now no longer about UX at all, but that's what a lot of people do. They want the they want to hire the person with the more exciting portfolio, but exciting portfolio doesn't mean that it works well. Now we're we're tapping into Don's Norman, Don Norman's old sequence that he talked about in one of his books, how that people think that things that that look better perform better, and that's not necessarily the case. So when people reduce who we're going to hire to something aesthetic in his presentation, are they really hiring for a UX person anymore? Actually, the answer is actually no. So people who have more experience get discriminated against when portfolios come into play. I'm hoping this straightens out, but the only way it's going to straighten out is, is when companies start hiring actually skilled UX people to run their UX teams, which most companies don't, don't do at all. So, but please keep in mind, again, make sure you include enough content, whatever that volume of content is that addresses the need of each job type that you're trying to get hired for. If you don't, 
then you're not going to be able to represent yourself the right way. And now you'll have a problem on your hands. So again, uh, as we wrap up, I repeat something I said earlier. Do you want to be better in UX? Then become better. If not, all you're doing is participating in a dog and pony show. But sadly today, that's what a lot, a lot of folks want is that dog and pony show. So uh, that's basically it, folks. That's my baker's dozen of UX portfolio tips. I hope you take them to heart. Um, it is going to help you present yourself in the right light. I did not promise that it would get you hired. I was just telling you that that's what you have to do. Because getting hired, that that's another, oh my God. We're, we You have to go back and listen to the episodes where I talked about the goofiness and the dysfunction, the massive dysfunction in UX hiring these days. But this is what people should be doing. And if more and more people did this, and if people really evaluated portfolios the right way, then this would work. And and when you come across somebody that is reviewing a portfolio the right way, then this will indeed work. Uh, and people see the pretty portfolio and realize, hey, that person's just a visual designer. They don't know anything about UX. But a lot of people today, they are misrepresenting who they are and they are basing their qualifications on aesthetics when that actually is a sign that they really don't know what UX is. So I hope you have the courage to take these things to heart today. And I look forward to hearing some of your feedback about how this helped you. But that is all the time that we have for today in this portfolio interlude. And we will pick up next week with the previous topic at hand. So until then, it is time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. And until next time, wishing everyone all the best. And as we always say, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.